I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Team Human is an ad-free community effort supported by real people like David Penn, Michael Purnell, Sundeep Grewal, Misha Goldberg, Eric Marshall, and hopefully you. If you're not already a supporter, please consider joining the team by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support. You'll get access to our Discord channel, live salons, free admission to live events, and our Team Human team feed with special interviews, talks, and rare conversations. You'll also get links to my weekly Medium columns, otherwise trapped behind the Medium paywall. Thanks for supporting this work. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine, a chance to disengage from the horror movie posing as consensus reality and reconnect to the collective power of solidarity. When the going gets tough, the toughest among us double down on the soft squishiness that melts hate and division. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, the journalist and activist behind The Connector on Substack, and the author of The Big Disconnect, Why the Internet Hasn't Transformed Politics Yet, my friend and neighbor, Mika Sifri. As humans, it helps to know who the others are. What you're doing isn't just because you follow a philosophy that's private to you, and you just go out in the world and be, but that, you know, there's strength in actually sharing a set of values, sharing a language, symbols. That's why when we form teams, we're stronger. Mika will be helping us, well, all right, me, find a better, healthier way to metabolize current events. It's time to intervene on our own behalf. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. Sometimes it's hard to do one of these monologues when there's a uh, really active news cycle going on. I don't like to make these, you know, hot takes on things, no matter how closely they may be related to my supposed areas of expertise. You know, I, I didn't do one about, you know, Elon Musk's proposed purchase of Twitter because mostly because I really don't care and I'm not going to do one about the, the school shootings, maybe you know, because I do care. Uh, now that people are getting massacred in Ukraine, uh, democracy is in peril, America is past a million COVID deaths, uh, climate is still being ignored, a special little bird in Hawaii just went extinct, a big chunk of the glacier broke off the ice cap, teen suicide is skyrocketing, New Mexico is still burning, and yeah, Roe versus Wade is about to be overturned, making abortion illegal in a majority of U.S. states. But I'm, uh, I'm not going to refer to any of those in particular. They're, they're just bumming me out. Um, what I want to do 
um, instead is offer up a short but concrete set of answers to the deluge of email I've been receiving about all these problems and people asking, well, what can I do about... Well, first off, what you can do is breathe. That's really a necessary first step for addressing any of these problems. You just have to breathe. So even right now, let's just pause for a second and literally breathe. In through the nose, out any way you like. And just pause for a moment and let the air come back in all by itself. You don't even have to do anything. The air just goes in, no effort. You're fine. Then put your feet on the ground. I'm going to do the same thing. Uncross my legs. Uncross your legs. Take them off the arm of the sofa or whatever. Stop walking for a second. Put your feet on the ground. Your body knows it's safe when you have both feet on the ground. You are safe. Okay, now, what to do about all these problems? At the first easy step most of us think of, anyway, uh, those, those of us who are flush, is to give money. You know, it's not everything, but it definitely does help. The trick is to find things as close to the ground as possible rather than just engorging these elitist institutions. So you care about reproductive rights? Give locally. Find your regional abortion fund right now or give to all of them by going to the, what's it, the National Network of Abortion Funds and fund that, right? It goes right to the people who are are trying to uh, do it. You know, you're concerned about Ukraine? You know, you got the Ukraine Crisis Fund or Doctors Without Borders or the one I give to is is Afia Foundation, which is right here in Yonkers, and they airlift medical supplies under the direction of Ukraine's Ministry of Health. So it's not like just some random thing. They actually get them to the right places. If you want to mitigate climate change, don't buy a Twitter. I mean, a Tesla. I mean, you can, but but don't. You know, put the money to the the Clean Air Task Fund or a Carbon One Eighty or fund climate protests through the Climate Emergency Fund or donate to my friend Reverend Billy and the Church of No Shopping. And moving capital is great, right? It's a great start, but it's necessarily removed and arguably a symptom of the elitist, top-down, data-driven style that has. Uh, for my money, distanced the left from the people and conditions on the ground. So the impulse to get some skin in the game is good. I don't mean that we got to fly to Ukraine or Texas to protest, but finding the people in your life or in your neighborhood who care about the issues that you do. These are not other people's problems. Just because you don't live near Russia or in a red state doesn't mean you will not be directly impacted by what is going on. You already are, which is why you can take direct action yourself. Climate change remediation, that begins at home by driving less, flying less, spending less, extracting less. Reproductive rights activism begins on the ground between people organizing effectively. That's how the Right to Life people did it. They built a movement in churches and communities over decades. The dismay and despair you may be feeling has one surefire cure, and that is solidarity. Find other people, particularly those in need or related to those in need, and support them as best you can. Let them know you're bearing witness to what they're going through. Meet and strategize with your own friends and allies. There's no one solution to any of these problems, but thousands of little ones directed toward greater common goals. If, if like me, you find it impossible to watch the news but can't distract yourself with Netflix, it's time to go outside or even into a Zoom room and be with people. Start by simply being with others and the rest will follow. Things may be awful, but they are only hopeless if you give up or give in. Let's rise to the occasion together, which is the only way we can.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, hi. Hi, Doug. How are you? I'm okay. You know, I'm okay considering, yeah. right? And part of why I, I called you here here today it's because my therapist is out of town no it's because my my no therapy is a different thing but i've been really good at metabolizing current events by using various kinds of uh some defense mechanisms and some willful processing you know but the layer upon layer of stuff don't worry about trump i look at right now the kinds of things I get worried about are the the takeover of state legislatures by people who mean to choose candidates themselves rather than uh, based on how their their constituents actually vote. The um, curtailment of reproductive and abortion rights in a number of states from the moment of zygote gamete creation mm-hmm. i mean the um the war in ukraine the 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 elevation of bullies from putin and trump to elon musk and the trolling that these people do and gaslighting the deaths in ukraine the shooting in rochester the killing of what to me look like babies in Texas and the the political aftermath of something like that being so conflicted and paralyzed I'm uh I I'm finding it hard <laughs> I'm finding it hard yeah. and I don't quite know what is even the uh, appropriate response right. at this point right yeah so it's a heavy time <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and I absolutely agree that some of it is impossible to digest, to, you know, metabolize, as you put it. We're we're not capable of holding all of this trauma and fear and sense of powerlessness without, you know, really feeling debilitated. I get why a lot of people um, just check out. We have what, in the cable uh, broadband business, they would call the last mile problem, right? Which is, you can have really great ideas and really great messages, but if you don't have the infrastructure that makes sure those things reach people where they live and that resonate locally through institutions that we participate in all the time, if they're only getting to people through, uh, you know, text messages that are being pumped out individually and and emails that, you know, are micro-targeted to you, you have no sense that you're part of something larger. And so most of us, unfortunately, live in de facto civic deserts where there are no institutions or very weak institutions helping reinforce that sense that we're part of a larger, what you might call liberal project that is robust enough to deal with the big problems. Right, a civic human 
project. And that's the thing, you know, the, the, I guess it was around, it's funny because you were doing, you know, personal democracy forum, this terrific conference on largely on the impact and possibilities for, you know, digital technologies to be used to foster democracy and civics. And Around the same time, and I'm, this is not blaming, but around the same time, somewhere between Howard Dean's campaign and the fundraising he did and the Obama campaign came this very distant technocratic form of campaigning on the left, right? Yeah. Where they were very, I mean, they saw guys like Vigory on the right doing direct mailing and using computers and they went, oh, let's get us some of that. And they doubled down and created these massive databases and now, you know, blue states and fundraising and Twitter and this, and right, it's as if they know exactly, they send me the Pelosi email, the Biden email, the, the, the you know, fight for your rights emails and I can feel the algorithms, like Facebook-like algorithms, yeah. interacting with me to see what am I going to click on and all, but but that's not forging solidarity. It's a form of, of digital direct marketing to me as an individual. Right, right. And the, look, there's always been a professional uh, political class doing things like managing the big, you know, expensive campaigns. This existed before the internet came along. Um, and, and no question that they got most excited about at the potential to, you know, turn this into a cash machine. There's also been an additional layer of professionalization of the advocacy world, the world yeah. where volunteers do stuff to change the world together. There's a longing for big movements. And, and I started to call it this, this notion of a, of a scaled golem. You know, that we mm. want to construct, a. Uh, we see the giant corporate uh, uh, entities or the NRA or, you know, APAC, whatever, these giant organizations. And then we as people, as team humans say, oh, well, we need to create a giant phantom thing to fight against their big thing, their big abstract thing. So we kind of want to create a golem, you know, and I'm saying golem is like the Frankenstein monster that, that, you know, the mythical Frankenstein monster that the rabbis created to, you know, prevent Jews from being killed, that we want to create this big thing. Like, like we used to make unions or a thing when, when our real power is going to be through much more local solidarity. Yes. And no, I agree. A big thing that, you know, where all the power is concentrated at the top, um, which is often what some of the unions became, is not necessarily what we want. But I do think things like unions are exactly the sort of thing that we need and that too often local solidarity is too diffuse. There's right. no commitment being made to each other. I'll, I'll give you an example, okay? I mean, again, sticking to local because it grounds us. So... I've been involved with a local indivisible group that I helped start um, in our congressional district uh, going back to 2017. It's all volunteer. Um, at our peak, we had 1,500 people on our email list and a couple hundred showing up every month before COVID to hear what everybody was working on, to get involved in a variety of causes that everything from defeating Trump, electing more Democrats, as well as fighting for, you know, universal health care or better environmental policies or getting rid of Republican control of our state government in the state Senate. And it was definitely decentralized and it only ran on volunteer energy. So now, in the wake of removing Trump and dealing with COVID, we're in a lull. It's very hard to sustain this work when people are tired, need a break, scared of getting sick, you know, all of these things, and to a certain degree, like, relieved that the nightmare of Trump is over. So we're not doing as much. Same time, there's the Working Families Party, which is an actual political party that in New York has a ballot line, and they have local chapters, and they have a local chapter for here in Westchester, and it has been running for about probably a decade or more. And I recently attended one of their meetings, 
And one of the first things that the chair of that meeting did after my attending is he reached out to me and he said, would you like to become a member? And, you know, we just, it's easy, you know, you just pay, sign up to pay these dues. I was like, yeah, dues. I mean, what a basic expression of commitment right. that I'm helping put some skin in the game so that this thing will be sustainable. And when people only do volunteer politics, the danger is not only that you're going to waste your time on stuff that isn't effective, which a lot of people do. A lot of people think just tweeting and sharing and, and commenting on politics makes a difference when it doesn't. Right. But that a lot of what they're building is unsustainable. As soon as people get tired, it, it fades away. Asking and getting people to make commitments like paying dues is what allows you to create infrastructure. The reason why churches, synagogues, mosques keep going and you know uh, are sustainable is, number one, they are serving an immediate need that people have. They have some kind of spiritual need that these institutions fulfill, or they need help with you know uh, all the big events in the life cycle, from birth, marriage, you know, rites of passage. A lot of our so-called grassroots political organizations perform no function in people's lives, right? It's a place we go when we feel strongly about something and we want to do something right. about it. But it isn't like I need to go to my monthly X meeting because it is providing some core function for me. And to roll this back up to what you were saying about the big need for a golem, it's not that we need a golem. It's that we need a sense that we're all rowing in the same direction towards something. What is the thing we're trying to get to? And since the collapse of the big idea of communism, which was obviously, you know, flawed as Lenin and Stalin, et cetera, put it into practice, the left has not had a big goal. We've just been sort of a, a collection of issues and preferences. But maybe the big goal, I mean, I wrote about this back in like present shock era in 2013. Maybe the big goal is itself a problem. In other words, it, it was a very 20th century thing. We're going to march together up the hill and get civil rights and get greenness and get, you know, the vote or get, and there is no, you know, I hate the whole, how are we going to get People no, to I'm blah, sorry. Blah. I'm sorry. I think you're being unfair to the civil rights movement. No, I think it was appropriate for then. No, but now I don't we're think in a that's different. What Martin Luther King was about at all. If you read his writings and his speeches, no, he was about now. He was uh, about a, a now. Mao was about now. Gandhi was about now. They were all talking about. None of those guys are ends justifies the means philosophers. Not at all. They they were right. talking about a, a broad set of values in a way of living but the movements that still ended quite up relevant. around them started and that's why so many activists still talk about how do we get people to and what is our goal you know but as a distant thing rather than no. what is the normative behavior that we're going to engage in right okay. now i think we're actually agreeing that so what i mean by goal is vision okay mm. what is our shared vision the Republicans, the right, can summarize their shared vision in like eight words. Okay, smaller government, strong military, you know, patriotism, God. What have I left out? Patriarchy, uh, you know, white, yeah. white dominance. I think getting to as, as clear a vision of where we're trying to get and that it's possible to get there. I think people also need some sense of hope. Not that tomorrow if we pass this law, we've succeeded, so therefore you have to sweat like crazy to just pass this law. But a, a, a feeling of we're, we're connected to something bigger that can make progress. The, the thing I most worry about about the time we're in is the sense that it's hopeless. Right. But, that, but my, my concern, I guess is that even if the left or progressives or whoever it is that I like were able to paint a picture and said, okay, what our vision is, is all people being included and women having authority over their bodies and no one being poor and there's going to be... You make these things sound kind of droll. 
well, there are going to be so many things that so many people disagree with in terms of the collective vision, partly because we've been so fractured yes. that it feels to me, and partly like the Team Human Project, not that the Team Human Project is everything, it's one thing, but my approach has been, okay, let's not talk about those vision things that people can disagree with, and let's get completely into you know what, what a philosopher, a, a post-postmodern philosopher like Levinas would say, let's just talk about our comportment. So I help, you know, I, I help my neighbors dig out the mud from their house, me next to the volunteer fireman who's got a completely different set of goals. Sure. But at least we're doing the same thing. And and by working together on things that we sort of can agree with in, in immediately, it it changes the way we engage with those bigger Kinds okay, of so do you think that's working? I think it's it's a thing that works. Yes, mm. like the what you used to talk about. Maybe you can explain it. This sort of deep canvassing thing yeah. that people do. Well, I, deep canvassing is is of all the t political techniques for uh, trying to get out the vote. It seems to be the only one that can actually persuade people to change their minds. Because it's not trying to persuade people to right. change their minds. No, it's first it's building an else. empathetic connection that takes more time. So a person knocks on somebody's door, and instead of trying to quickly figure out whether they're a one or a five on, you know, do you like my candidate or not, they ask them an open-ended question about something that's relatively political and then engages in an empathetic sharing of something that they care about deeply once you build that connection, you can then come back to and say, well, you know, you and I, we, we both think that uh, it's really important to have empathetic leaders. Um, that's why I don't like Trump, you know, and you may move people when you remind them that empathy is a value they care about. The problem with just pointing to deep canvassing is that it's only a technique. And if all we do is you know, parachute more volunteers into, you know, targeted communities in swing states where we need to move X number of voters uh, in the short term, we haven't really refreshed the base very much. Our, you know, uh, the, the term I've come across is that the politics, politicking, get out the vote, it, the way it's currently practiced by most Democrats is just building sandcastles that, you know, we, we put a lot of money in in the last few months before an election to try and get people yet again, vote, right. vote. We, this is the most important election of, of our lifetimes. Vote harder. Um, <laughs> and then after the election is over, right. it's washed away. Exactly. Those sandcastles are the sort of the scaled golem that I'm talking about. These phantom constructions that are built around like a, a, a yeah. thing, but there, there's no... Uh, so uh, we, we are changing that. Yeah. I mean, I've got many conservative listeners. I don't mean to equate progress and everything we're saying with necessarily the democratic agenda. I mean, there's sure. a, there's, it's true that, that I believe the Republican movement has been hijacked by something else, by this sort of Bannonite racist thing. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's a place for, you know, William F. Buckley in Team Human. There's, there's, you know, it, even as Biden would would argue, without a strong conservative movement, it's hard to move forward. They're, they're, they're. Well, how are they supposed to expel the Bannonite fascist wing when it's completely taken over their party? By, by, in, I, in the by meantime. being on Team Human. <laughs> <laughs> Here, buy my T-shirts. Yeah. Well, no, it'll be that. But you know, they, they, they. They lost their comportment. They became gaslighting, mean-spirited, lying. Well, I think that what they are is is kind of an extension of what they've always been. And, you know, Trump just gave them more permission to be explicit about it. And we're dealing with the, the situation that we face in the present. And I'll be damned if, you know, I have to make room for, uh, you know, people who think Steve Bannon is, you know, kind of acceptable company. He's he's really he has a very different project and it it has no room for people like you and me in it. Let right. alone it's an accelerationist project. Yeah, yeah. Bring it on and let's see what you know what's left at the end. And yeah. there's where Musk and Thiel no, and all where those guys are. I would are. agree with you, and where the you know today's Democrats have yet to figure out 
what their answers are is um, how do you actually you know make tools like government function effectively? Um, you know we have too much big government, we have too much bureaucracy. Um, Ezra Klein had a, a very good article about this the other day. We we've evolved a government that doesn't know how to build things anymore. It just knows how to slow down the building of things. Um, and so, you know, if you want to build a new bridge uh, or a new railway, you know, it costs twice or three times as much to do it in the United States as it does in countries in Europe. And and the reason for this, by the way, is not because we have unions getting in the way. They have more powerful unions in Europe. We have an excessively lawyer-driven kind of government. Um, and so the blockage points make the price of doing anything even higher um, when we desperately need to be able to, you know, build more homes. That's the solution to the homelessness problem. Let's let's build more homes. We can do that. Or let them inhabit the empty investment <laughs> homes that are currently, you know, yes. clogged up. People right. aren't living. Go to Manhattan. Look at those giant new buildings in Manhattan. There's nobody in those. Right. Right. But are you saying we should challenge the rights of private property, Doug? I'm an anarchist. I'm allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, that's a, I, I think it, there is good news on that front to the degree that the civic tech movement that, you know, I, I've been part of for a long time has made any headway. It was in the realization, I think, during the Obama years um, when healthcare.gov crashed, right. if you remember, that you can have the best of intentions and even pass wonderful legislation that expands access to healthcare to millions of people. But if you don't have a government that functions, that can actually deliver these services and deliver them well to people, then you're going to, you know, you're, it's ridiculous. All your efforts are going to come to naught. My biggest worry about, say, what Biden has done in the last year, you know, they did pass huge investments in infrastructure, even, you know, with the first uh, rescue plan, right? And now with the bipartisan infrastructure uh, program. But who knows how that money's actually going to be spent and if it's going to be spent well. And that's where the, the liberal project of government is in trouble, is, you know, if you're going to get your hands on power, you damn well better make sure that the the money is actually delivering meaningful changes in people's lives. And the worst news, truly, is that a lot of people have no idea that Biden achieved these things. Um, and this is another example of how the National Democratic Party and its generation of leadership has neglected to, to solve this intermediary, you know, this, the, where it reaches people at the level of their lives. Right, which fills us with with a kind of a, a hopelessness and a despair. sense of, of, of if we're not right. getting the job done. Right. Well, because right, all we know from the outside is oh, the Democrats can't pass anything because Joe Manchin won't give them the vote and other things well, no, they need two thirds. They did pass. Some I know, stuff. but that's the way it feels right. to people. They didn't mm -hmm. pass anything, but they passed a bunch of stuff. So I mean, so there's two possibilities here. One, the, the Democrats are groups, whatever, get better at communicating what's happening so that people feel a little bit more hope and see the traction and can get on board. Or, I mean, we we supplement wonk physics or, or wonk civics, which most people uh, don't seem to be able to relate to anymore with the kind of stuff I've been trying to do, which is very yes. local. And I would say that my general sense is that we're probably living in the middle of a wave that is so big, you know, all the best efforts that people are making can't stop the wave. The, the wave wa of what? The wave of the next election is going to be bad, and maybe the one after that will be bad. And Democrats, the reality-based community is going to be in the wilderness for a while. The good, the only silver lining to me is number one we some some of these the deadwood the aging out of touch leadership is going to be swept aside um you know when you have a, a forest with a couple of big trees you know that are basically blocking any new saplings from getting right. any light any nutrients i know this is the new science of forests tell us that the big trees are helping the yeah. little trees i don't see that 
really, you know, Nancy Pelosi's Nature metaphors is, are limited in their ability <laughs> to describe well, the actions uh, of humans. No, I, I actually <laughs> would love, you know, and it's a different show and, and not one that I'm even prepared to flesh out. I would love to explore what everything we're learning about, um, uh, you know, the ecology of forests and mycelial networks might have to teach us about the type of democracy and political engagement that we would like to see. You know, the fact that the mother trees in the forest really are sustaining the the more vulnerable younger mm-hmm. trees and that when an old tree knows that it's dying, it pushes nutrients to those other trees, the degree to which we, inst- you know, we talk about going viral as a yeah. good thing when we should be talking about going fungal. Right. And that's why I always wondered when, you know, Bernie, the second election, if he had yes. taken all of his power and pushed it into whatever, Warren or someone else, who knows what could have happened? Would that lead to a healthy forest? Um, I don't really know. And to your point about creating these localized um, networks of solidarity, what I would just say is that as humans, it helps to know who the others are, to know that you are actually, what you're doing isn't just because you follow a philosophy that's private to you and you just go out in the world and be, um, but that you know there's strength in actually sharing a set of values, sharing a language, symbols, um, that's why when we form teams, we're stronger, okay? So I think you would agree that making that more visible would make it stronger. If you were digging the mud out of your neighbor's uh, garden, uh, you know, where they were flooded, wearing a team human hat and the volunteer fireman turned to you and said, oh, what's that, mm. right? You've now done more than just show up. You've actually maybe turned a light bulb up on his head or her head, and now they're thinking, oh, maybe I'm part of Team Human too. Can I have one of those hats? I mean, branding matters. Look at those goddamn MAGA hats, right? Right. I mean, they are a very strong expression of an ideology now that is designed to bind those people together and also intimidate everybody else. But the the problem is... Does, does the energy of branding itself diminish the the yes the if true it's only about branding right yes if it that becomes, was what bothered me about Obama's campaign right, right? I remember I did yeah. the thing at PDF when my talk there was like brand Obama that I'm really concerned here that this is a great brand for a campaign but this brand will not it will not engender civic participation and it did not the people who think we will solve this just by having better marketing alone, no. Though, if you understand marketing the way our friend Seth Godin teaches it, it's also about actually solving a need that people have at the right. individual and that's, level. I guess that's my flaw, you know? That was what bothered me about certain forms of Judaism and what 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 has prevented me from engaging in that it's like i got so gen x slacker marxist no logo that (laughs) you know that that every brand seemed an expression of this fundamentally flawed manipulative nlp tony robbins you know est like evil uh, 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 corralling of people. You know, I read yeah. Walter Lippmann and Ed Bernays and them using Freud, and I'm like, no, branding is manipulation. Yeah. yeah. But you're saying that, no, that actually, I guess it's, you know, the way the Jews tried to do it too, to say, yes, we can brand, but the letters are going to be written in fire, in flame. So you understand these are provisional. These are social constructions. Yes, he's the king, but only because he's wearing a crown. Without the crown, he's just one of us. It's, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's an agreement. It's not real. Right. You know, but we, we, it's so hard to brand without people actually believing, without people becoming so Protestant about it. We're like, oh no, this really is the thing. Yes. Again, you're dealing with something really human, which is a lot of people need that sense of stability and constancy and, and are threatened by too much change too quickly. Um, so asking people to be continuously 
open to renegotiation. Buddhist, basically. It, it's pretty hard. Yeah, it's or Dao. Hard. The right. Dao guts it. It's right. all changing all the time. Right. All you've got is a standing wave that you can yeah. kind of move through. Right. But there's no thing. There's no there there. You're yes. going to die eventually. And there was no there there. Yeah, you know? I totally that resonates for me. In terms of, you know, we're in a deep hole. So the first thing when you realize that you're in a hole is you try to stop digging. You try and stop the things that are <laughs> yeah. that are making the hole deeper. Yeah. And then you also have to search for ways out of the hole. And I think that where I'm not fully capable of embracing the Buddhist approach is there is a certain sense of accept all of it, you know, uh. accept it as it is, as opposed to um, really resolutely fiercely keep trying to change it that it needs to be fixed it needs to be bettered so to not become uh inured or complacent or only you know my only work is to comfort the suffering not to end the source of suffering right. and i go back and forth i've talked about that here it's like are we in the palliative care stage am i in the orchestra on the titanic just trying to give people the best experience of of sinking you know and and I, I get that from from a Buddhist perspective. Yes, what is is, and it's not a matter of being passively accepting it, but you've got to at least be in the swirl in order to redirect it. You know, right? Which goes back to the power of, you know, the way our story gets framed to us and the way we understand the time that we're in. If you allow the gloom and the spectacle of, you know, horrible mass shootings or, you know, really reactionary court rulings to rule your awareness and not see at the same time the way that other strategies or other uh, seeds are bearing fruit, you will, I think, become paralyzed and, and fatigued and demoralized and give up. Right. Ours is, you know, what's the saying about, you know, we all have to do what we can. I'm, I'm, I'm not awake enough to give you the, uh, uh, you know, the best versions of these quotes. We may not see the world transform, but that doesn't mean you, you give up on doing your piece of it. And also continually searching for what is working versus giving up your agency, and saying, well, I've, I've got to leave it to others to figure that out. You know, it's too much for me. I, 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 I reject that. Right. I mean, it's funny. I was just talking to someone, uh, to Stephen uh, from our town. Yeah. We were talking about doulas. Yeah. And he was saying about how doulas don't just birth babies. Doulas traditionally also are with people when they die. Yeah, death doulas. There's death yeah. doulas, but there's people who do both. Hmm. And I was like, it's really interesting to do Almost doing both is the best way. So in the morning mm. you usher someone out, that night you usher someone in. You know, <laughs> you're you're it's like you don't just breathe in, you breathe out. You do you do both. And I feel like we need, you know, and I understand that some inspiration can come from having a vision and a prize and a thing. For me, the inspiration, the spiritual in inspiration comes from the connection with the other. You know, whether it's someone on, on my team or making a human connection with the volunteer fireman who's a total MAGA but is also helping the person dig out of the house and has a different opinion on what just happened. He says this is a once-in-a-thousand-year flood. I'm saying this is the thing that's coming more often. We make a $20 bet. Will there be another one of these by the end of the year? I mean, that's a great engagement. Yes. And, and, we're friends. and if you pursue it and continue at it, you may actually move this person in the same way that he's moving you yes. to a little more understanding of where, where he's coming from. And he participates more in volunteerism and civic volunteerism than I do. Yeah. He's on the ground going to people's fires, pulling old ladies out of things and risking his life. So sure. He's putting his body where his mouth is, at least. And that's great. You know? And, and, and lots of people do that. Right. And, you know, I've often thought that if it weren't for the people who actually get shit done, and by that I mean, you know, many of whom who are public servants, teachers, yeah. firefighters, cops, uh, you know, people 
you know, our healthcare workers, the people who make sure that the traffic light, if it's broken, they fix it, many of whom can't be explicitly political because their jobs prevent them from being political. But they actually, you know, keep a lot of stuff just going. Some of those people are telling us that they're in crisis, right? Um, the teachers who are leaving the field in droves, the healthcare workers who are right now, as we're speaking, uh, you know, they're getting anxious again because the infection rates from COVID are going up and we're not doing anything about it. And they're going to again be the front line of, you know, what spills into the hospitals as a result. Um, we can take those people for granted. You and I happen to live in a fairly uh, well-off little town where, uh, you know, the worst thing uh, is that, you know, well, we have a great volunteer fire department. Isn't that wonderful? How many people live in places where, you know, you can also take that for granted? So I don't particularly like the idea that our politics should be centered around the sensibility of, you know, a well-off white male suburbanite whose sole worry, uh, uh, you know, is, um, you know, will we have people get, you know, somebody's having a crisis, will our EMT get to them in time? I mean, that's like the most basic thing that you want to make sure is happening. And 10 miles from us, there are people living in buildings that haven't been inspected in years properly so that if somebody is warming themselves with a space heater and a fire breaks out, it, it can kill, you know, a, a dozen people in their building. That happened, right? Um, you know, why aren't we focusing our police on that kind of violence as opposed to, you know, some poor lady who, you know, is standing in the subway, you know, selling fresh fruit, but she doesn't have a permit. So we, our, our priorities are out of whack, um, and and shifting those priorities has to be the work. You can't separate. I what I don't want is for people to say, "I'm only going to worry about my little local right oasis," without recognizing that the local oasis that they may live in was, you know, uh, uh, financially gerrymandered right. by redlining. You do, though, so you know, you work at the food pantry in Hastings, and. You know what Pam, who runs the food pantry, does now is brings food to Yonkers because right. we have a surfeit. So now our food pantry is serving other communities. You know, and that it's a start. It is a start. It is a right. start, and and it gets it does get bigger. It does get right. networked. Right, communities. You know, we've always survived against uh, you know very tough conditions when we form communities and where we know how to do things like take care of each other. So you know, it's sort of like. If you're really going to be serious about survivalism, you want to be learning how to do first aid and you want to be learning how to farm um, and, you know, how to build communities because communities are what tend to last longer than individual survivalists. Right. You know, what What will you do when the ammunition runs out? Right. Print more of your own on your 3D printer? <laughs> right. So, you know, that thing has, it, it, it kind of, at, at its farthest end, you know, collapses. And I don't think we're going to end up there either. I, no, I do think... we're not. Know, we're not. But it all of these things that we've been talking about are, as far as I'm concerned, kind of distractions from the bigger problem of, of climate and energy and the sustainability of the planet for human right. life. And so there's both good news and bad news there. The good news is that corporations are moving much faster than government at just kind of taking it as a given that they have to electrify, right? Will we, will it happen fast enough? I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. You can have Saul Griffith on your show and-, and When you say electrify, this. you mean use electricity instead of burning yeah, stuff? Burn, move away from carbon, you know, move to uh, number one, electrification, number two, alternative sources right. of power. Because there's not enough electricity to do all this stuff right. either. But I mean, they you still to... got to burn something to get the, right. but the they, jewels. But the point is, is that the speed at which they're just assuming that they have to do this is the part that's interesting right. to me, even before they're forced to. But people are still, this is, always confuses me, people are still buying multi-million dollar spreads on Miami Beach. Well, those people what are, they are thinking? In, they're not thinking. 
they're richer than me. They should be smarter than me. Being rich doesn't mean you're smart. <laughs> it you, I think you knew you. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> they think it makes them smart. No, I think that they're in the après moi le déluge. You know, after after me, it, it doesn't matter, right. right? I won't be here to deal with what happens when the ocean overwhelms my seafront property. Not my problem, right? Um, or I've my particular property. You know, we put it up on slats, so. You know, the garage level will get flooded, but we'll be okay. I've seen those houses, and and you're like, okay, I guess you're checking out, right? You know, you're going to live in a gated community and think that all of this will somehow wash around you and not over you. Right, and somehow you're going to still get supplies for your pumps. But there's a lot of people who, that's the American dream, Doug. Get theirs and be done. And I don't know that it makes sense to focus on them. I mean, it's it's worrisome. I know you your new book is all about the rich trying to pull up, you know, uh, their fortresses. Well, behind it's them. about the mindset that leads them to think that they can somehow isolate or be independent from the rest of the of the human body, and why we have to assume an alternative posture. Right. right. And yet, some of them are not behaving that way. Right. You know, and and um, you know, Mackenzie Scott who is hyper-rich by marriage, is giving away huge amounts of money. We'll see if she starts to put more of it into the kinds of solutional work. You know, she mostly seems to be giving it to Band-Aid projects right now that help people right away in the here and now. Let's agree that that's a good thing. So this trend may change. This trend may change. We have to chip away at it. You know, one of the hard things about living through the moment we're in, it's it's difficult to have the perspective that you need to know whether the the small, you know, the the sort of seeds you're planting um ultimately are the ones that matter. Mm. Because we'll only know in ten years or in twenty years. You can't know right away. And yet you have to still do it. Um and, you know, I think of you know, people in my family who have been teachers, other people, teachers who have influenced me. That's the work of a teacher, right? Like they're every child that they they work with is on their path to something. And you won't know until 20 or 30 years later which of those seeds you planted in the children you taught uh, turn into these amazing, you know, human beings. Right. You approach all of them hoping that might be the case. And that's definitely that's for me been the one truly wonderful thing about growing older mm-hmm. is I can see you know, someone who read some book I wrote in 1995. Right. And what they've done with what they got from that. And right. for them to come back and say, oh, dude, I got that from this. Right. Wow. And you, in writing those books, also got it from the people who came before you. Right. So, you know... Standing on the shoulders of giants, you know? Standing on the shoulders of giants, knowing that the work is not yours to complete, but you have to help continue it, is is really, really important. And... I so I'm I'm a congenital like you know we the baton is in your hand and at some point you have to pass the baton along but while it's in your hand you do your best with it and you try very hard not to despair and not to fall into the feeling of cynicism and nothing matters and I'm just going to get mine and leave everybody else behind. Is there anything you do when either the news report comes on? of the shooting or the replacement people or some fascist horrible thing or some right that's gone away. Or when you see the ridiculous tweets from people who are respected by millions, is there a way, do you breathe? Do you have a mantra? Do you tell yourself something or are you just, uh, uh, do you have (laughs) such a, 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 a healthy flywheel of your own activity that this stuff just kind of, blows by no i it hits me i mean i well i i I do not watch tv news Mm. um i try desperately to avoid absorbing the version that they produce because 
it just creates high anxiety and and a feeling of powerlessness. It does because why would they put why do they put music on it? I remember right. Postman writing about that. They right. have a soundtrack of music on the news. Right. Well, why are they doing yes, that? Yes, and and so I haven't looked. <laughs> right. Good for you. And I feel like even Rachel Maddow realizes that, which is why yeah. she's gone off the air. I think she finally realized what a lot of us have realized that this broadcast is like not healthy. Yeah, no, it's a kind of, of pornography of, yes. of the of the event. And and you know when they slap on a a label, you know, crisis in Texas or whatever they're calling yeah. it, and you know it's all about again hooking you to the show and keeping you transfixed. And and there's a an emotionalism about it. Mm. Yes, we all identify, you know, and and Anderson Cooper is incredibly good. They did it with Ukraine too. Um, they're incredibly good at at pulling people in and trying to hold them. That's how they get ratings. Um, but I think that's profoundly unhealthy. So I have stopped reading the, I mean, uh, uh, watching, uh, the TV news version, the cable mm. news version of these things. It's so rare to hear anything or see anything that offers any, any degree of, of actual thoughtfulness. I do read and, and, you know, I graze and I see what other people are pointing to to read. I think, you know, you can absorb this stuff in a deeper way, um, you know, and I do think that people who write books about these challenges are often much better sources of understanding. You know, uh, I would say Dave Cullen's book on Parkland, like his original book on Columbine, is really thoughtful. Um, I'm now reading the new book on Sandy Hook uh, by Elizabeth Williamson, uh, which is about how the conspiracy theorists of the right, like Alex Jones, uh, jumped in literally days after the massacre in Sandy Hook, claiming that it was all staged. Um, and, you know, ultimately the story is how the parents fought back and beat him. Um, and I'm going to get more from digesting the events through the sort of that longer perspective that you get from being in a book than I will from the momentary tweet or, or whatever. Right. I do look at Twitter, but I mainly look to see how my friends are responding, how the people I respect are responding. I, I could care less what Elon Musk says about anything. It's I used to actually admire Elon Musk when he his his goal was building a solar economy. Right. I thought that was great. Yeah. I mean, I thought that the vision, not just for Tesla, but for solar powered homes, and you know, we'd have these big batteries in yeah. our garages that would and the roof every, tiles all of that, were going to be. I'm, yeah. I'm like, yeah, man, you know, let's build that. Now, what he's become is disgusting and right. sad. Um, and you know, it's like he's publicly cracking up as well. Well, he's doing the Charlie Sheen. I the, mean, it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's very weird. And the quickness with which he's adopted the sort of Jordan Peterson view of the world, um, you know, is something he's grabbed hold of is just striking. It's interesting to know that sociologically, but I don't let it hit me. Right. I, I generally look at a thing like Twitter as a mostly a useful barometer of what my friends and other people I respect are also saying and thinking in a given moment. I stay away from the fights and the feuds and the, and the you know, flame wars, which obviously a lot of that happened. And there are people who, you know, show their worst selves there. But it's helpful for me, you know, to see that, again, I'm not alone. Right? right, that that it it does perform that function. But the interesting thing is, you wouldn't know from the way you're talking that you are, as I experience you, also the person who, in any situation, is willing to speak truth to power. Trying, you, trying. You do though at every conference. The thing, it's like, wait a minute, the foundational, the the people paying for this conference are who? And you. I'm sorry, speak. I did that to the last one you were you know, at. Yeah, but yes, it was I great. <laughs> it was great. It's like, wait a minute, the underlying premise of this group is what? You know, let's yeah. actually interrogate this for a minute and you'll go public and you'll write about it and you'll speak uh, about it. And I, I think the reason why you have that power and why I so admire that is because of the grounding and, and your, your refusal to get 
um, uh, uh, caught up in the sensationalism of something to look at what's actually happening. I'm trying. I would never say that. Thank you. But I see other people who perform that same function. There are journalists who try to get beneath the surface and, and help us understand what's actually going on. A lot of us are afraid to look there because it's like, oh, no, there's going to be more ugly little wormy spider things under that rock. But you lift the rock and look and go, OK, here's what's happening. And it's it's it. Thank you for doing that. You know what I mean? Because I'm afraid to I'm afraid to go there usually. <laughs> Maybe. And again, we all sit in slightly different places in our lives and careers. Right. And, you know, if you, uh, you know, have a kid who you're hoping to send off to college, maybe you're not going to attack the university that you're hoping your kid's going to yeah. go to, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, we we all live enmeshed yeah. in these power structures that we have to deal with. I'm a little bit older, slightly, no, we're the same age, but my kids are done. Yeah. I've, you know, they're, I, I'm, they're fully formed and I don't worry that, you know, something I might say might rebound badly back into, say, hurting their future chances. We all make compromises like that. None of us are uh, clean of those kinds of compromises. I live here in a town that is, you know, relatively safe, but also definitely segregated by property Mm -hmm. values that were, you know, by design, we were, things were set up this way. So please don't put me on some pedestal. We're all just trying to get by, right? and add our little bit to the larger picture. That's all I'm trying to do. I do think we may well be like the passengers on the Titanic. You're right. In which case, the main thing would be, like, where are the lifeboats? And how, <laughs> many, how do we build more of them? And how do we get more people into them? Right. Okay? Even, the, even that is better than just saying, we're on the Titanic and we can't change course and there's nothing we can do. Right. That's not true. No, there's always something. Even if humanity is going to end, it could end later and softer well, and less painful. Well, as George Carlin says, the planet's going to be okay. It's you, humanity that's in trouble. But even then, yes, there are lots of humanity will continue. Maybe not our version of quote-unquote civilization right. won't continue. And, and that may well be a good thing. I would like that the best parts continue. You know, I mean... No question that the knowledge that we have today about the most basic aspects of how to stay healthy, right? You know, wash your hands before you clean someone's wound. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, hopefully that meme will will right. get passed along, you know, so that somebody who cuts themselves doesn't have to worry about dying from the infection right. the way they, they used to a couple hundred years ago. So... There are a lot of things that we can still move forward with that are good. We, our media makes us feel like it's all bad, right. and it's not. Right. It's the bad news bias of media. So I guess the easiest thing to do is to turn off the TV, but that doesn't mean not staying informed. You know, It, it actually right. means becoming more informed. Well, like I would say, again, I would go back to plugging books. So uh, you know, long form over short form yeah. um, is always going to be more thoughtful. Right. And, it's, uh, and partly because most of us are not being called upon to act immediately on every global crisis. It's like Ukraine is happening. No, you don't necessarily have to go grab a weapon and run over there. And you're going to learn more about it by reading an article maybe that was written over the period of a week right. rather than trying to stay in touch with every bombshelling. Agreed. And the other thing is to recognize that we are in the middle of a multitude of crises that, yeah, each election is really important. It's one piece of the many things that are important. And you've got to figure out how to sustain yourself Mm. in doing that work. So it's okay to take a break if you need to take a break. It's okay to do things that nourish you, that recharge your batteries. If you don't recharge your own batteries and take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else, right? Um, But then look for the others and and be as, as much as you can of service is what I would say. Thank you, Mika Sifri. Thank you for being on Team Human. Thanks, Doug Rushdoff. And thank you for being on Team Human. Our guest today was Mika Sifri. You can find The Connector at theconnector.substack.com 
or come to teamhuman.fm where you can find more links to the work of Mika Sifri. You can also find ways to join the team by clicking on support and becoming a paying subscriber of the show. That would help support people like our editor, Luke Robert Mason, and our producer, Joshua Chaplin. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.